The scripture reading for today is taken out of the letter to the Philippians, Philippians 1, the verses 1 to 11. Now for our many, many guests today, uh, we have been working our way through the letter to the Philippians in, our, in Owen Sound Canadian Reformed Church over the last number of weeks. And we dealt first with the introduction and the background of the letter of the Philippians. So this was a church which Paul had, uh, had uh, reached in Acts chapter 16. And there, the beginnings of this church were very humble. So it was, uh, first and foremost, a group of women who gathered together at the riverside. There weren't even enough men among them to create the ten men that were necessary for a synagogue. So it had very humble beginnings. Just a handful of women who gathered together at the riverside. And now you have uh, Paul and Timothy together writing to this church ten years later. And they've grown to quite an extent. And they've been able to rejoice in the faithfulness and blessings of the Lord over this time. And they've come even to the point of being able to appoint bishops, which are overseers, and deacons. So it's a really beautiful work that God has begun here in Philippi. And now we come to the reading of the letter of the Apostle Paul to the Philippians, and we'll uh, read beginning at verse 1 here. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and the deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God on every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine making requests for you with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ." And here we come to our text for today, verses 9 to 11. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So far, the word of God. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, have you asked God ever for relatively specific outcomes to your prayers? Transformation that happens in the life of those who are near and dear to you, perhaps. Here the Apostle Paul does. Grounded in what God has already worked in the hearts of the Philippians, namely salvation through grace for Christ's sake, and the growth of this small church from the gathering of women at that riverside up until 
the group that they have today. Paul's prayer looks for an overhaul in the heart and in the life and the perspective of these Philippians who are so dear to him. Now, we need to understand that he's working from a foundation of truths that he has already spoken for this passage that we read today to make sense, this text. It's from that foundation that he's able to make his requests boldly, knowing that it's what God has promised, and he's able to make these requests in a way that is confident of the outcome. He opens with the words, this I pray. The requests that he makes come out of the first part of this prayer in verse 4. Always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy. He's speaking of his prayers there. He's talking to a church that he knows has Christ. Acts chapter 16, right? We see that already there, where it speaks of how the Lord opened Lydia's heart to believe. That's quickly followed by the Philippian jailer's genuine conversion and the congregation growing from there. God has begun a good work in them. And they've made the Apostle Paul all the more certain of this by their faithful support. We read about that earlier in the previous weeks. We spoke about how the Apostle Paul had been supported by their faithful and loving gifts. And so in prayer, the Apostle Paul has thanked God for them and made requests for them, as we see in verse 4. This is his prayer. Now everything that follows after that is an outcome to his prayers. It's an outcome of the work that God has begun in their lives and an outcome of God being in the process of bringing it to completion. And there are two major outcomes that the Apostle Paul wants for this congregation that he loves so much. Now you can't see this very clearly in your pew Bible or in most other major translations, but it's a really important division, and you'll see why in a moment. There is a natural, logical progression that happens here. And if you were to open your Bibles and see, it says, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more. This is the first of the two. I pray that, or... In order that, as it can also be translated, I pray this in order that your love may abound. Here he talks about love and what love looks like. Now the second thing that he desires as a result of his prayer is hidden in the middle of verse 10. If you were to look there. He says that, and this particular word again can be translated as in order that so it's the second group of uh, second category in which you find him saying in order that in order that you may be sincere now the apostle Paul loves the Philippians and he wants them to be changed by the gospel not just their hearts but also their lives he doesn't want it just to be a temporary change but something that carries on throughout their lives to the very end and so he prays in light of that final day that in Christ they may present, be presented as, in verse 10, sincere and without offense. 
So we have two major purposes that we're going to look at today, two major outcomes that the Apostle Paul is praying for. First, what he wants for their hearts, and second, how this moves on into their lives, how what starts in the heart transforms the life. But on top of that, and that'll be the third thing that we look at today, he wants all of this to be done to the glory of God. So we'll look at these three points under the following theme. The outcome of God's work in the life of the prayerful Christian. And we'll see, first of all, an abounding love. Second, a transforming life. And third, that higher purpose over it all, the glory of God. This brings us to our first point. So we read in this opening verse, And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent. The Philippians have already proved to the Apostle Paul that the love of Christ is in them. And we have only to look at those previous verses to see that generosity in their support. He knows of their love, but he wants it to grow. He wants this love to abound to overflow in their lives. The love that he speaks of is not just any love, by the way. It's not the affection that he spoke of earlier in this passage. And it's obviously not the romantic love. The Greeks had a separate word again for that. But this particular word for love is the Greek word agape, meaning love in the sense of placing a high value on a person or thing which expresses itself in actively seeking the benefit of the one so loved. I'll say that again. Love in the sense of placing a high value on the person or thing, there's the heart, which expresses itself in actively seeking the benefit of the one so loved. There's the life. This is what agape love looks like. The heart's involved and the life responds. The life follows in response to that. It's a love that doesn't just consume, but it's a love that produces. But what about what he says here about knowledge? What's that all about? How does he connect knowledge to love? Well, one thing we need to see is that the Apostle Paul's understanding of love is quite different from the main understanding of love that we have here in the West. Here in the West, we have an understanding of love that has been shaped by Walt Disney, that has been shaped by Hollywood. We get this idea of love from the media, from Hollywood, and from Disney, and so many other places, that love is just an overwhelming emotion. In fact, it's sometimes so overwhelming that we can't even control it. You see somebody from across the room, and that's it. You fell into love. When you're plummeting down, you can't exactly stop yourself from falling, right? That's the picture that society has impressed on us. And this has sadly led to a culture in which one night stands, temporary flings are encouraged, and even celebrated. It's a removal of the mind from the process. It's the excuse, I don't really know what happened. It just happened. 
But that's not the picture that Paul gives us of love in this passage, is it? And the Apostle Paul's love is something that's fed by knowledge. And that's something that he wants the Philippians to understand. That, they, that as they grow and as they abound in knowledge, their love deepens. Taken at face value, we may, we may not always get this. Knowledge? That's not really the first thing that I think of when I think of love. But consider this. When you're speaking with couples that have been happily married for several decades, ask them about their love. Many of them will tell you that as they got to know each other more intimately, as they grew to understand each other's emotions, as they took that time to self-sacrificially hold themselves and their own immediate responses at a difference, at, at, at more of a, a distance, and take the time to listen to their spouse and to grow from what their spouse had said as well. That they grew to understand each other's emotions, each other's likes, dislikes, ways of thinking, and more. And as they grew to understand each other and come to know each other more, more knowledge led to a deepening and maturing in their love. You can know that theoretically your husband will make a good dad one day. You can know it from what other people have told you of what they know of him. You can know it from seeing him interact a little bit with other people's children, but none of this will compare to the fact of seeing him interact with his own child, seeing that in action, reading Bible stories, the first prayers, tossing a ball around together and spending quality time, sacrificing his own in order to be with this child, teaching awe at God's created world as he's walking through the autumn air, looking at all the leaves around, devotions, leading in devotions around the supper table and leading that child to, through godly, faithful, loving, and consistent discipline. As you see more of that in action, you not only know it in a theoretical sense, but you come to know it. Your depth of knowledge, your depth of certainty has increased, and so your love has grown. And the same is true for knowing your wife will make a good mom one day, and then actually seeing that truth in action as she's interacting with the kids as she's caring for them, as she gathers them in when they've been hurt with their scrapes and bruises, as she also sits alongside of them and teaches them of the beautiful wonders of God. More knowledge leads to greater love. For love to be something that doesn't just consume this knowledge is necessary. To have a love that expresses itself in actively seeking the benefit of the one so loved, you need knowledge about the one so loved. And that is true in the Christian life as well. As we come to know what God has done for his people, for other people, 
as we grow in our understanding and knowledge of that in spending time in his words, and as we suddenly start to see patterns in Scripture, and we look at those patterns in Scripture and we start to look at our own lives and we see those patterns coming out in our own lives, our knowledge grows. Our recognition of what he's done grows. And so our love for him grows as well. Without knowledge, we won't be able to see his work in our lives for what it is. God might be doing all kinds of things in our lives. But without learning about the fact that it's him that's doing it, we won't be able to recognize it for his hand at work. Think of new believers, right? Before they came to know Christ, they wouldn't have recognized that God was at work in their lives. But after the fact, they're able to look back and see how God led them to where they are today. And that's where discernment comes in. You're able to take this knowledge that God has given you, and you are able to look back and see how God has been at work, faithfully at work in your life over the years. Knowledge increases love. And more knowledge also brings with it discernment. And this also will lead to a growth in love for God. Because when you look back on life, and you become more and more aware of how God has been working in your life, how he's been faithfully walking alongside of you every step of the way, then your love will abound still more and more. But more than that, with discernment comes the ability to test and approve what is good in this world. And that's what the Apostle Paul points to in the last place here in these verses, in this first section. And that's what bridges the gap between what happens in our hearts and what happens in the real world. Because discernment teaches us how we are to put into practice this knowledge that we've now already gained. All within the context of what God has already done for us. Learning to explore the depths of that. And so with this sweeping statement, the Apostle Paul moves us from the heart to the world. He teaches the Philippians the second result that they can look for in their lives in response to God's work. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. It begins with love that abounds still more and more. And now it begins in life, which is transformed. And this is the second thing that Paul looks at here. The second half of verse 10, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ. So as we saw, the discernment was that transition period. And here comes the second section, the second in order that and everything that follows. Paul has brought things out of the world of ideas and into the real world. Once you have a genuine love in your life for God, 
in response to what he has already done. God acted first, and now this love comes in response to God acting first. This will result also in a change in behavior. As we saw before, you are able to discern. You are able to approve what is excellent and what is not. And true love on learning of the difference between those things that are excellent and those things that are not acts in response to this knowledge. You can see this response to God's work in your heart coming out in the world in two ways. First, the Apostle Paul says that you may be sincere. This concept is something that we've talked about before here in Onsan, but it's worth repeating. You see, when you love someone and you truly love them, you'll want to please them. You'll want to bring them joy. Sincere action is simply love in action. You know more, you love more, and then you have a genuine, sincere response. But how does this look practically? As a young person, when you're drawing closer and closer, for example, to the time of your profession of faith, you might wonder, am I ready? One of the statements that you'll be saying I do to is this, in the, in the form for the profession of faith. Do you declare that you love the Lord God and that it is your heartfelt desire to serve him according to his word? Now, when you're examining your own life, as you're coming to this point, as you spend time in the Word, you read with a purpose. Not just for personally being encouraged by these statements of love, although the, that's the foundation, right? What Christ has done for us. That's the foundation that's the, that we build on. But not just for personally being encouraged by statements of love, but also so you learn more about what delights God. And if you're sincere in your love, you'll be reading this, asking yourself, how can I put this into action? It's the same in any other relationship, right? As you grow to know your, your friend, your girlfriend or boyfriend, or your spouse better, and your love for them grows as well, you'll start to learn more about their likes and dislikes. You'll learn about what delights that person. And when you figure that out, you'll want to put that into action, right? Because you love that person and you want to bring joy to their lives. Whatever is good and right and pure and make your relationship thrive, you'll put that into action. And the same goes for the other side of that coin as well. As you grow in knowledge, you'll not just learn to, as our passage describes it, approve the things that are excellent and act on that, but you'll also learn to discern what grieves God and act on that. This is why Paul also tells the Philippians how their knowledge leads them to be without offense till the day of Christ. Now, that's not to say that they won't be offended by people. That's not what it means when it says that they will be without offense until the day of Jesus Christ. It's not talking about being offended but instead it means that they will be living a life that, as the ESV describes it, is blameless. That's not to say that it's perfect, but a life that is perfected 
by God. Now, one of the difficulties with the ESV that you'll find here is that if you read it carelessly, it gives this picture of being found blameless as a one-time event on the day of Jesus Christ. But what our passage shows us is that this is something that is ongoing until the day of Christ. It's not just the final declaration at the end of days. It's a transformation that's happening right now. It's an attitude and a change in behavior that's informed by the transforming work of the Holy Spirit that is shaped and directed by the work of the Holy Spirit in response to the knowledge that you have been given of God's grace to us in Christ. You know Christ and you love Christ. And just as in any other relationship where there's genuine love, you seek to do the things that delight the object of your love and you seek to avoid the things that grieve the object of your love. And as, by the power of the Holy Spirit, your knowledge grows and your discernment grows, your behavior changes as well. You will, in fact, make an effort to go out of your way to figure out those things because you love that person. But I want you to understand something here as you're reading this passage. Because it can be tempting to take this passage and then to, to dive right into life and to say, okay, I'm going to put all my effort into doing those things that delight God and all my effort into avoiding those things that grieve God. And then the time comes when this first burst of energy and this first burst of effort wears off and we find ourselves falling again. And we can become disappointed and angry with ourselves during this time. And think, well, what good did that do? To try harder. To act better. Sure, it may have worked for a time, but at the end of the day, what good did it do? But I want you to understand something. That he is speaking, and I've said this a few times now, but to to just focus on this for a moment. That he's speaking of a foundation of what Christ has done. This abounding and this growing love is not something that we work in ourselves. And this fruit that comes out of our lives, this avoiding what grieves and this looking for what delights and seeking to do that. That's not something that comes just out of ourselves, but it's something that comes out of that foundation. If you go further back, this is all grounded in, and this is why it's so important to recognize, and this I pray that your love may abound, that that's grounded in the prayer rather than that being the prayer. This I pray in order that your love may abound because it's all grounded in the work of Christ. This is something that's growing in our lives, not something that we strive to do so that we can be better people, but something that we can see coming out of our lives as those who are grounded in Christ. He who began a good work in you 
will bring it to completion. It's this progressive work of Christ throughout the course of our lives. This is something that he focuses in on when he says being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ. This is something that he emphasizes often throughout his writings. If we're looking to ourselves to hold back that dam, to just hold back that that weight of behavior that we have been carrying on in, we're going to run into serious trouble. And so he tells us to look to Christ because these are the fruits of the righteousness of the one who is in Christ, relying on the transformational work of Christ. And focusing on Christ does so much more than just give us strength to fight our battles, to put sin to death, and to live a new life in Christ. But we live for God in Christ, and we live to the glory of God. Recognizing that all of this fruit comes out, not of ourselves, but out of Christ in us, that brings us to give glory to God. And that brings us to our third point. It's so important to focus on this final point, the glory of God. And the Apostle Paul really wants the Philippians to focus on this and to think about this. It's something that comes back time and time again. Because seeking to do this to the glory of God takes our eyes off of ourselves, off of our own efforts, and it directs them on the one in whom our hope is founded. Yes, the Philippians benefit from Christ's work. They benefit spiritually in a huge way, being brought from death to life to eternal life. That's a big deal. And yes, as their lives change, other people around them benefit as well. Yes, this can lead to great things happening, and even by God's grace in some situations, a better life overall. But that's not why they do what they do. We ourselves benefit as well. Our love abounds, our knowledge grows, our lives are slowly transformed. But it's not so that we can focus on ourselves and see our own progression. But there's a purpose to all of this. Our righteousness and our salvation has its source in Christ. And so the purpose is to recognize that to rely on that, and then to give glory to God. You might think at this point, okay, if I'm not supposed to go home and seek to to do more and to change more first and foremost, then what am I supposed to do? Well, he calls us to abide in Christ. to fix our eyes on Christ. And once we recognize more and more what he has done for us, we will respond more and more. Once we are more firmly rooted and dwelling in him, as we have already begun to be by God's work, 
as by his grace we are more firmly rooted and dwelling in him, we will respond more and more. And so we are called to abide in him. And this takes all of the glory off of ourselves, all of the glory off of our own efforts. Instead, it places itself on God. All the glory goes to God. We cannot take our eyes off of that prize, the glory of God in our lives. We cannot take our eyes off of that prize because it informs how we come to him after we have sinned in repentance and in faith, recognizing that he forgives us and the glory goes to him. It affects how our hearts change, how we view the change that happens in our hearts. It's God who has begun this work in us and we give glory to him. It affects how we view the changes that happen in our lives. It's not me that worked this change. I've tried so hard and I've come so far. See where I used to be and where I am now. No, all the glory goes to God who has brought the fruits of righteousness that are found in Christ Jesus, by Christ Jesus, out in our lives. And this is the best possible way to live to the glory of God through rain and drought, through health and sickness, through riches and poverty, through good times and in suffering, to live to the glory of God. So let this be our continued desire, our overarching desire in what we do, beloved. Let this be our prayer, that our hearts and our lives would more and more be filled with the desire to live to the glory of God and that we would find this as we are rooted and grounded, abiding in Christ. Amen.